Welcome to Inspired Edinburgh, powerful conversations helping you reconnect with your purpose. I'm Elliot Reeves and my guest today is Jamie Ramsey. Jamie is an endurance adventurer, a speaker and a writer. Jamie, in 2014, you set off on an unsupported solo 18,000 kilometre run across two continents and through 14 countries from Vancouver, Canada to Buenos Aires, Argentina completing it in, I believe, 475 days, and you've since acquired the moniker, the British Forest Gump. <laughs> in addition to this, you've completed the Three Peaks Run, Scottish Isles Run, a cycle from Edinburgh to London, as well as a number of international mar marathons. Absolutely incredible. Jamie, it's fantastic to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me here. And I'm sounds like a lot of running when you say it all out <laughs> in a list, but uh, yeah, it sounds like I, a I have done all of that. So. Sounds like a horrendous amount of running. Yeah, if you ask my <laughs> knees, they will concur. It's a, lot, a hell of a lot of running. Um, <laughs> Great. So you're originally from Scotland. Um, tell us a bit about your, your background and, and what growing up here was like for you. Yeah, so I grew up in Haddington, which is uh, just about 20 minutes east of Edinburgh. Um, grew up in the country, um, so lots of I luckily had a little brother, so the two of us would play lots of out and like running out in the woods and in the fields. And um, I went to school in Dunbar, um, and then after that, I moved to Musselburgh, or I went to school there. Mm -hmm. um, and I left Edinburgh probably when I was 18 to go to Australia, right. where I was a, a kind of tutor in a school for a year. Mm -hmm. And then I returned and then went to Oxford Brooks, and then. Um, I've been work I worked in London after that. Yeah. But Edinburgh has always been like my kind of home. Well, Scotland's always been my home. There's a kind of weird, when you're on a train and you cross that border at Berwick <laughs> and you're coming yeah. down across that kind of east coast coming into Edinburgh, mm -hmm. there's a sense of like, oh, I am back home. And I don't know, there's something about the pace of life and the people and the sense of community. Mm -hmm. uh, even though mo a lot of the people I grew up with have moved away or kind of started life in different parts of the country, just every time I come back here, it's just like, kind of, yes, I'm Scottish and I'm home. And yeah. um, so I, I had a very lucky upbringing. I was allowed to try lots of different things, which allowed me to, to like, do running and swimming and sailing and kayaking and horse riding. And so I've always been outdoors. And I think if you mm -hmm. look back at my school reports, they would <laughs> probably say academically, not the most advanced, but tries very hard. And then more of a sporty person is where I've kind of excelled in the past. But Got you. yeah, yeah, good stuff. So what was the kind of work that you were doing in, in London? when you were when you were working there so at university i did economics and information systems okay and i moved to london worked in a bar and then managed to get a job in financial communications and i worked right. in financial communications for 12 years started off as a graduate and worked my way up to being a partner wow um but it kind of for me the strange thing about that decision was I was following something that I never actually wanted to do. So I think as a kind of, you know, as a young boy, you watch your father get dressed every day, put on a tie, go to the office, look cool, pay for all the stuff you're doing. And you're like, one day I want to do what he's doing and uh -huh. I want to go to the city. And I think you slowly put an expectation on yourself 
Mm-hmm. And no one else is putting that expectation on you. you I think it's a subconscious thing you do yourself. Yeah. So when it came to like choosing university courses, economics, information systems was because it wasn't me following a passion. It was me thinking, what do I think other people think I should be doing with my life? <laughs> and they're like, economics sounds good. Information <sighs> systems sounds good. You do that. And then you end up in a job that pays well with good kind of prospects and again there's that approval everyone will think you're doing well and you end up in a job and you do that for 12 years uh like i did so and it was i would never knock the job i would say that the skills i learned from working in communications i had a a boss who was a very good boss he was excellent at what he did Mm -hmm. and i learned a lot from him and the skills i had i've acquired through that job have made me have given me a good basis for doing other things that I've done with my life since mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so did, did you? Do you think your parents played a part in what you did? Did they have a hand in kind of trying to steer you down that route, or was it just something that you decided that you kind of wanted to to do yourself? No, I yeah. As I said, I think it was a. It wasn't, and no one was saying you need to go to the city. No okay. one was saying you need to have this job. Yeah. Um, that was what I perceived from what. Everyone around me was doing where they were going, mm-hmm. and everyone's being successful. And you want to, you want to fit in. You want to follow the same route <laughs> as everyone else. And you know, my parents have always allowed me to try everything and do everything. And you know, when I was, I think I was seventeen, I came up with an idea. It was Britpub.com, and I wanted to write, uh, get a review of every single pub in the whole of Britain, oh, wow. and they paid like a subscription. And rather than knocking it, I was taken down to the local bank and we got like a brick pub bank account kind of set up and we started building the website. And at no point did they say, no, this is a silly idea. They let me, They kind of probably knew that it was gonna die out pretty quickly. <laughs> and I realized I couldn't drive to go to the pubs and I didn't, there was no way I was gonna be able to do it. But I had it. that. I had drink at 17 either. I could, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I had this idea and they allowed me to follow it. But I think I then f- I fell into this job and then I think you get, it's quite easy to get trapped. You, mm-hmm. you get paid money to do a certain thing, which enables you to b- have a house, which enables you to get a car. And then you become, the soci- society makes you dependent on yeah. the fact that you have that job. Yeah. So you feel trapped in this job. Mm-hmm. And I think that partly I probably wasn't brave enough to admit to myself that I wasn't happy in this job. All the signs were there. And I knew it, but you know, to move on to another job was huge. Un- it's like uncertainty. Will I get another job? Mm-hmm. Will it pay as well? Will I be as good at it? You know, I'm here. I'm doing a job. No one's firing me. People are they're giving me pay rises, and my title keeps changing. So I, there must be everyone else will tell me that I'm doing the right thing. So kind of outwards, I was on the success path, and I could have probably ridden out. But the problem is, my heart wasn't in it. It wasn't what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So that was a kind of a conundrum for me, <laughs> aged 34 in London. Okay. So. And, and was it like a light bulb moment, an epiphany, or was it more of a gradual thing? Like, you know, how did you come about realizing that it wasn't the thing for you? Mm-hmm. So I think, I think it was a two-stage process. Mm-hmm. In June 2013, uh, so I've always been a runner. So running has been a, a part of my life for as long as I can remember. I mm-hmm. started running when I was at school. I remember clearly there was a day when I was at the back of the field. 
Everyone was running ahead. Me and my best mate were chatting away and just arsing around at the back. And a teacher came up, literally kicked me up the ass and said, if you don't get to the front of this race, you're in detention. Wow. So I was like, wow, I better run. And then that's when I learned I could run. Um, <laughs> so I ran and then you know, I kind of carried on doing running in sports. And then I did a marathon, then a marathon. And I always like going one up. So I did a marathon, did another marathon. I was like, oh, I've already done this. Let's do a marathon, a safari park. Let's do something bigger, bigger, bigger. June 2013, uh, I'd entered into a race called the Vietnam. It was a Vietnam ultra marathon. It was okay. like the Marathon de Saab. So it was six days through the Vietnamese jungle, back on, uh, backpack with all your stuff, and you go and do it. So I bought the ticket. I was raising money for the STV, STV appeal. Uh, I bought my, I bought the kit. I'd done all the training. I'd, everything was ready, and they cancelled the race. I was like, what do well, what do I do? Mm. And it could have been very easy. I could have at that point said, right, it's not meant to be, I'm just not doing it here. Someone's mm. given me the excuse to pull out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But then I thought, well, you know, I've already told all these people I'm doing it. I've already put in all the work. Let's just fly to Vietnam and do it anyway. So I flew to Vietnam, put on the backpack and ran six days by myself down the road, finding places to stay at the end of the day. <laughs> and it was brilliant. And I had just, uh. I realized that all my passions were there in, in kind of this run. And I got to the end, I thought, I wish I could do this as a job. I wish this could be my life. Fast forward six months, I got a promotion, made partner. And the, the circumstances behind that promotion, I would say, were not exactly what one would normally expect. It was a bit of an in-house political kind of thing. Okay. And I, some people would disgruntled that maybe I might have been made a partner. Hmm. Um, I was just happy because I got more money and I wasn't really, I'm not, wasn't am ambitious in titles. And anyway, I decided, wait a minute, I'm in a job that I hate. People around me don't think I deserve the job that I'm in. <laughs> what am I doing? And I was like, uh. what do I want to do? And my mind flipped back to this time when I had that moment where I was like, you're happy. Right now you are happy. So I went back to that moment. I was like, God, I've always wanted to be an adventurer. That's what I wanted to do. And I looked up to people like Ben Fogels and the James Cracknells and all these mm -hmm. people who were doing what they wanted to do. And I was like, but that's what I, I want to do what they're doing. And then I kind of realized that no one had told me I couldn't do that because I'd never told, I'd never voiced this desire to anyone. So I was like, well, no one's told me I can't do it. So maybe I could do it. So that's when I started kind of saying to people, I've got this idea, I'm going to go and do this thing. And I have a process. My process is come up with a stupid idea, uh -huh. tell a few people, they'll tell you not to do it. If they don't, you move up to the next more, more important people to you. They're more important, they're more important. More, someone will tell you you're being stupid. <laughs> and I went all the way up the thing. I was like, I'm going to go and do this thing. And everyone's like, if anyone can do it, you can. And I was like, where's all this belief in me come from? Like. I, I don't understand. So I went all the way up and I was like, well, I'm about to quit a job where I'm a partner. And this is, this is crazy. So I wrote my dad a really long email. I was like, dad, you have given me the best opportunities in life. You paid for my education and university and I'm now here and I'm gonna pack it all in <laughs> and I'm gonna go and run across two continents. And I spent ages and I fretted about this email I'd sent. I don't think he replied on the first day and I was like, oh my God, what's happening here? And the next day he just replied to me saying, if you've got to go, you've got to go. 
that was it. And I was like, wow. So he's, even my father, who is like the guy who's raised me and I look up to, he's on board with this idea. Yeah. He didn't say he was happy, but he was on board with this idea. <laughs> uh, and that just made me think, oh, you know, what's holding me back? Well, let's just go and do it. And I quit my job to go and run across two continents. And that was how I ended up in Vancouver with a baby stroller. Yeah, which is, yeah. Um, so that's, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's such an incredible story. Yeah. It's amazing. But, uh, you know, there's, there's probably people that have been in that sort of position before, right? So they don't like their job and they, they want to do something else, whether it's running across, yeah, you know, mm. continents or, or something creative. But there's, there's usually obstacles, and I think a lot of people try and justify to themselves why they shouldn't or can't. So how did you um, go about, like, for example, finance presumably was mm -hmm. going to be an issue. Like, did you just decide that, well, you'll struggle on and... and yeah, did that so your luck, when you say justify, to, I, I would say people look for excuses. Oh. Human beings, we all do it um, on a daily basis. We're like, well, I could do that, but I'm not going to. I think we grasp at think reasons not to do stuff. I could have done that, and you hear of lots of people who say, I'm going to go and do this thing, and then they go, oh, I just didn't get the money. Yeah. And I didn't have the money. I had enough money. I knew I had enough money probably to get me to the end of Central America, into South America, but not right to the end. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I could use this as an excuse. This could be an excuse why I don't do this. And I thought, wait a minute. If I'm doing something, first of all, if I manage to run across America, that is success. Yeah. I've achieved something. If I manage to run to across Central America, that's success. So I've achieved even more. So I wouldn't be embarrassed, I wouldn't have failed. And then I thought, if I'm doing something positive and people are behind it and people are interested, money will find its way to me. And I had on my website, you can donate to charity or you can donate to me. And people did donate to me and people would give me money on the road and you know, people helped me out. And I got a couple of things, you're doing something positive, positive yeah. things will attract you. I ended up with, brands pay me some money to, to kind of make videos and you know that it all kind of fell into place but I think I will fully accept because it's very easy for a guy, a guy to say I did this thing so anyone else can do what they want I was a 34 year old single man who had no kids and I had less I didn't have commitments mm -hmm. so I could drop everything and go and do this challenge mm -hmm. but a lot of people they People who want to go and do multi-month running expeditions or cycling, there are not that many of us. There are lots of people who want to challenge themselves in other ways. Like challenging yourself doesn't have to be physical. It can be mental. It can be artistic. It can be lots of different things you can do. Yeah. And I think a lot of people get self uh, get involved in this idea that they have to have a certain amount of stuff. <laughs> There's a kind of level you need to have, and you need to have all this stuff in your life to to be happy because that's what society tells you. You mm -hmm. need to do this, you need to do that. You know, your car should be as good as your next door neighbors and your house needs to be big and you need to have three spare rooms and all this kind of, people think that. <laughs> so they kill themselves day in, day out to provide for a whole bunch of stuff that they don't really need. And I was of more of a, you know, my mind philosophy, my philosophy changed that. I don't need these things. Just, and, and I think if people think like that, they can do like, I can take a risk if I reduce what I need to be doing. If I reduce my responsibilities and my commitments to things I don't need, and then they can take that plunge. So I think mm -hmm. rather than 
they, people just need to look away round problems rather than let problems stop them because yeah. there's always a way round. Yep. Sorry, that was a bit of a waffly way of saying no, it. No, no, that's a great answer, great answer. Yeah, and it's funny, I mean, we were speaking before um, the this we started recording about the book um, Stuffocation. Stuffocation. Um, which is one of the books that you've listed in your Things to Buy <laughs> an Adventurous Person yeah. for Christmas. Um, and I was looking at excerpts from the book uh, last night, actually, and it's, it's so interesting. Um, one of the things it says is, it is about how you, me, and society in general, instead of feeling enriched by the things we own, are feeling stifled by them. Mm -hmm. Instead of thinking of more in positive terms as we once did, we now think more means more hassle, more to manage, and more to think about. In our busy, cluttered lives, more is no longer better, it is worse. So, I mean, you know, you, you ran across two continents with uh, a stroller filled with about what 40 kilos of possessions yeah so how did that change your relationship with material objects and, and items yeah first i'll say that the book stuffocation was actually someone who followed me on the run we met up for a coffee afterwards and he gave it to me a guy called dan okay. gave me this book and said you need to read this book so let's <laughs> give him a plug on that um yeah so when I, a lot of people think that setting up for an expedition like this, you get so much time it goes to planning and logistics of what you need. And I was like, well, I've got a baby stroller. I can't actually physically take very much stuff. I need a bed, I need a cooker, I need clothes, and I need some entertainment, be it books or things, computers mm -hmm. to communicate with people and stuff. And you do, you get into this world where every single, like I was, because you're pushing everything, everything becomes you have to justify everything. Yeah. So you, I was like countless times on this trip, I would take everything out and I'd go, do I need this? Yes or no? Get no, and then you'd find people to give it to. And there's like hotels, I would go around and say, does anyone want these trousers? Does anyone want this top? You know, here's, <laughs> I've got a hammock I'm not using anymore because I'm in a country where I don't, I can't use a hammock because there's no trees and deserts. So you kind of just give stuff away and you do end up just reducing your life down to what is essential. Yeah. And you still allow luxuries in there, um, but you're like, do I really need this? Is it going to be um, something that I, that is gonna contribute positively to my life? And then, so that kind of, I think ingrained this some new kind of way of looking at possessions. So when I came back from my trip, I sold my flat, I bought a camper van, I gave a lot of stuff to charity, I got the smallest storage unit you can possibly get. And in there, there are things that Stuffocation would say I don't need. There are a lot of like sentimental things. Like when I was running through Vietnam, I bought a, a rug and just little things like that. But I do now live, as we were talking earlier, I have a very Spartan kind of lifestyle where, and this is nothing to do with my girlfriend, it's not her who's, who's put this on me. But I have three plastic boxes in the corner of the room. One is for clothes, for current everyday clothes. One is sporting clothes, which we won't be surprised has more clothes than the, <laughs> the normal clothes. Um, and I have one for like personal effects. And I keep my stuff there. And then I have a couple of bags under the bed, which are different season. So if it's summer, I have all my winter running clothes. And I will quite frequently, I'll tip everything out and go, have I worn this recently? Do I need it? No, chuck it away. You don't need this. You don't need this. You don't need this. And refine, refine, refine. But it's not just possessions. It's things like 
when I lived in, and I was worked in the city, I had the most, like the best gym membership. And I had, the phone was paid for by work. And everything was like, life was all tied to certain things. Mm-hmm. I now have the cheapest, most flexible gym membership because I can chuck it whenever I do. I have no connection to it. My telephone is the smallest mem- like thing you can get. Everything is, it's basically, I think, I'm not saying I'm Jason Bourne, but I could drop everything and leave very, very quickly. Um, so that's the kind of life I like to lead because mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about stuff. I do have the big worries in my life are like a crap car, which I just have so much love for. And also I'm trying to prove a point to people that it will survive. Um, but it is a drain. Like I have to worry about parking permits and I have to worry about yeah. insurance and I have to, all these things that don't need that hassle in my life. And it's not me being irresponsible. It's not me being like flippant about stuff. It's, I don't need that stress in my life. And I watch all my friends getting bigger houses and bigger cars. <laughs> and then they're all talking about like getting higher purchase stuff. And it's mm-hmm. like, so you're, you're now possessing, you have stuff you can't even afford. You're paying loans to have stuff. You're like, yeah. what, what happiness is, what is that bringing to your life? What is, is it making you happy? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the lights could turn off at any moment. And, we don't know when that's the day. And I don't want to be working my ass off to pay off something that I'm never going to enjoy. You know, you should just be enjoy the moment in a positive, productive way. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying just go and lie on a beach somewhere. Do stuff that is positive, but, you know, do it for the right reasons. And yeah, not just to acquire more. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I mean, I, I honestly think I admire you um, because I'm not sure if I could reduce my life down to as minimal as you have it but i think the the fact have you ever tried i've never tried i've never you'd tried. be rem- so as if you if you get a copy of the book mm-hmm. the guy very quickly so people can understand what the book's about mm-hmm. two guys one of them's working with his father they own a fancy house and he says for dad how much money do i need to have for this house the guy dad says 50 grand so he's like puts it in his mind and he goes out and he gets his education and he gets gets to 50 grand, he buys a house, he gets, I'm not happy. Maybe inflation, maybe all these things, let's get to 100 grand, maybe life will get better. He got to 100 grand, working all these hours, getting all this stuff, and he was like, I'm not happy. Him and his friend decided to put everything into boxes and <laughs> empty, live in an empty flat and only take out what they needed. And they found that they actually needed very little amount of stuff and were happier. Mm. So that is the kind of philosophy that I got to before I even read the book. The book is just like, justifying it and probably egging me to go a little bit further okay. uh, or making me feel guilty for keeping stuff but <laughs> um yeah it's just it's a way of life yeah i think it's once brilliant. you try it yeah it is it, is, it does work I, I believe one of the other things that the book kind of advocates if you like is what it refers to as experientialism yeah. which is um you know doing things and uh, acquiring or you know taking part in experiences mm-hmm. rather than the accumulation of of material possessions yeah. and is that is that something else that you i would think we can see it with so many people doing things like tough mudder ultra marathons yeah. are g- becoming huge mm-hmm. and i would say that's on two levels i haven't put that much thought into it but i would say that some people are wanting to escape the world of like we're constantly in competition on social media no matter i'm as worse as probably worse than anyone <laughs> else but like, I've got, I've just been here, or I've just done that, or I've just bought this, or this is amazing, look at my life. And I think half the people are probably trying to escape that and go and just do stuff that makes them feel fulfilled or gives them purpose outside a job where passion is involved. Mm. And I think 
as a proportion of people who are probably like, if I can do this, I can share it on my thing and everyone will think I'm great because I did this thing. And I mm. think there are probably those people. But hopefully the large, the majority are people who are finding passions and that is more important to them than owning things. It's about, because I think if you pursue a passion, mm-hmm. you get fulfillment. If you're fulfilled, you're happy. And also you will push yourself harder. And I think human beings, we, it's built into us to push ourselves. That's why our society changes and grows and everything gets better and better and better and better. It's because people are pushing themselves constantly every day. Mm-hmm. And they're not, I don't think we're doing it out of necessity all, all the time anymore. Because mm-hmm we're all pretty comfortable they're doing it because they want to they have a passion they want to push things they want to push themselves further and further and further which is what mm-hmm. life as an adventurer is what you're trying to do <laughs> you are trying to push yourself you're trying to see you are trying to push yourself against yourself but there is no denying you look around other people and go wow you're doing that well i'm, I'm gonna do this because i can push it harder yeah. um but i think you have to be at the heart of what you do not, I don't try not to do firsts or records or anything like that because I think that's the wrong motivation to do stuff. Mm-hmm. You should be doing it because you want to do it. That's why my run, nothing to do with records, nothing to do with firsts. Mm-hmm. It was just a really nice route. Actually, it was the easy option of three <laughs> was the reason I did that one. Okay. So, Yeah, that's, that's a very humble way of looking at it. I think a lot of people that do it are probably driven by ego, whereas mm-hmm. you just you clearly aren't in the slightest. I'd love to say I'm not, but I'm sure I secretly probably do get, I like it when people like something on Twitter or Facebook or, or if people go, I really, when you get an email from someone saying, I love what you did and it made me do this, Hmm. I get a feeling of satisfaction from that. It's like, wow, okay, what I did helped someone else get something and that makes me feel good. I think charity is in part you get a good feeling out of being charitable to people. Mm-hmm. And I think, so I do get a kind of thing out of I do get a buzz out of it. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. It's on the, the topic of um, charity, actually, you supported three charities. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of them was CAM, which is a Campaign Against Living Miserably, a suicide prevention charity. It was Macmillan uh, Cancer Care and WaterAid, mm-hmm. that's a sort of clean water provision. So why did you decide to select those specific charities? So initially I chose Macmillan and WaterAid as the two charities I was going to support. Macmillan, cancer, Mm -hmm. we are all going to be affected by either directly or indirectly. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing we can do personally to stop that. It's going to happen. And I've had family members who have been affected and, you know, it's just a good charity that people need them to be there. Water, water aid. Water is a basic right that everyone in the world should have. Mm -hmm. And the more you learn about water, and it's actually as important as water and clean sanitation. Mm -hmm. And sanitation is hugely important. Like when you start doing stuff for charity, you learn stuff you didn't even realize was important when you decided to work for it. So Mm -hmm. in Africa, young girls, if schools don't have the proper sanitation for them when they reach a certain age, they're too embarrassed to go to school. So by not having the sanitation, mm. they're not going to school, which means they're not getting an education. So Jeez. it's like just something simple as water mm-hmm. can lead to a kid not getting an education. And also water for me was one of the most important things I had to consider 
on my actual journey because you need yeah. to drink a lot of water when you're running through deserts. Mm -hmm. And just before I was leaving, a friend who I worked with uh, was holding a fundraiser for this charity called Calm. I'd known about it because she'd been doing stuff, but I didn't realize to the magnitude, what magnitude of male suicide was in the UK. Yeah. And you know, over 4,800 men take their lives in the UK every year, which staggeringly is 12 men a day. And then you've got to think of 12 men a day, so that's 12 families that are being ripped apart every day. And then if 12 people a day are getting to the point where they want to, and they successfully manage to, to take their life, how many people are thinking about it or suffering or on their way to that? Mm -hmm. And I looked at my expedition, I thought, well, I, the primary reason I'm doing this is because I'm unhappy. I can see the signs. I was drinking too much. I was going out, partying. Everyone around me thought I was happy and thing because that's the outward, uh, that's what I was projecting. Yeah. But I wasn't and I knew I wasn't happy and I made the decision to quit and go off and do something different. And there are a lot of people who don't make that decision. Um, so our, and communication was something I wasn't very good at, even though I worked in communications. <laughs> My personal communications weren't great and affected relationships and stuff like that in the past. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, I've got so many things that tie into this small charity. I actually think I could probably do some good for this charity. So I chose that charity and hopefully, you know, it's helped people. Mm -hmm. We raised 25, 26 grand. Um, but I think it's Amazing. for that charity, it's more important that people talk about it and yeah. people are aware about the problem. So, and it's charity you can carry on working for even, I can't, it'd be very difficult for me to raise money by running a marathon, having everyone given me money for running 400. So you kind of, <laughs> I have to, well, I like working for a charity that's meaningful yeah. and is not just money needing. So it actually needs the awareness. So that's mm -hmm. why I chose those three charities. Okay. Excellent. And it's a great name, Campaign Against Living Miserably. It yeah, so it, it basically yeah. was, that's what my journey was. It was a campaign against living miserably. So. Yeah, very much so, yeah. I watched one of your um, video blogs, actually, and you're at a bridge, I think it's in the States. Yeah, it's just north of Santa Barbara. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And yeah. um, I think it's like a known sort of mm -hmm. suicide point. And uh, what they've done is they've put these sort of um, like mesh guards or, or whatever you would call it, the sides of the bridge yeah. to try and prevent people. But what you point out is that nowhere is there simply a sign yeah. or a helpline or a number. Yeah. You know, if you're feeling down or miserable, call this number. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like that. No. But, I, you know, I'm, to the best of my knowledge, I'm not sure that there's that sort of thing really anywhere. So I suppose my question is, what are the things that we can do in order to help suicide yeah. prevention? So I, I help raise money and awareness to charities. I'm not an expert when it comes to, to male suicide or suicide mm -hmm. or depression. And it's stuff I would love to, to be more involved with. Mm -hmm. I think the best, the main thing that we need to do is break down the stigma related to men asking for help. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who think if you ask for help, it's a sign of weakness and people will look at you as a lesser version of yourself because you have admitted that you're weak about something, mm -hmm. which is the most preposterous thing in the world. Because if you are strong enough to realize that you have a weakness and you go out there to seek help to fix that weakness or mm -hmm. whatever, or the, just a kind of feeling you want to get to the bottom of, mm -hmm. that's going to make you stronger which is gonna make you perform better, which is gonna make the people around you happier hmm. and everything. And 
part of being on an expedition, so like solo expedition, solo and unsupported, I think is what I started off with saying, solo and unsupported, <laughs> is the most ridiculous thing in the world. Like, I got help every single day yeah. <laughs> from strangers, from family, from friends, just phoning up to ask how I was, or mm -hmm. sending me messages, or donating to charity, or people giving me stuff. Um, and you realize that you can actually start asking for help and you ask people for help and you're like, I need help, I'm, I can't do this because I'm not an expert at everything. Yeah. I need help with this and people will help you. And they don't think you're weak. They feel good because they're helping you. Mm -hmm. So you're actually helping people feel good about themselves by asking for help and everyone's happier. Mm -hmm. So it's just about breaking that stigma down, you know, the male ego kind of thing. Yeah. And I think also now that depression like is a subject we're speaking about is look at people around you because you can tell sometimes if someone's not happy or if they're excluded or they're having difficulties, reach out to them and just mm -hmm. say, are you all right? You know, and maybe that might just be enough to them go, okay, yeah, you know, and they'll, they'll open up. So it's about just being aware and about kind of, yeah, just being aware, I think is the main thing. Definitely, yeah, it's a great answer. Really good, okay, so I mean, on your your america's run you must have faced a, a myriad of challenges and and difficult times you yeah. know can you speak about some of those and and how you were i suppose mentally um prepared or, or able to to deal with them yeah so if it's a weird it's a kind of weird situation before i left you walk around telling everyone i'm going to be doing this thing it's seventeen thousand kilometers <laughs> at the beginning it was 18 but there was an adjustment halfway okay. down I'm going to do this one, and it's going to be 14 countries. I'm going to run across deserts and mountains and all this kind of stuff because you're trying to get people to give you stuff <laughs> and you're trying to get people to support you and you're trying to get all this stuff. And then you realize, I'm freaking the shit out of myself about this thing. <laughs> it's so big. Yeah. So you then have to go through the process of breaking it all the way down into absolute tiny little parts okay. so you can mentally deal with it. Mm -hmm. So you just make it a day-by-day -day thing. You're like, I'm just going to get up. One of the things I... I was preparing for something is it was about routine learning and improving and, and self-belief those are kind of the things you need so every day you'd wake up and you say right I'm going to push myself I'm going to I'm going to refine I'm going to make myself more efficient I'm going to at the end of the day I'm going to assess what went wrong what went right mm -hmm. make the changes I need to do mm -hmm. and you'd look ahead and you're like there's a 500 meter incline today which is big but it's not 4,860 meters that you're going to have to do, or 30 meters when you, you have to do when you get to the Andes. So you're sitting there, you just tell yourself, if you can't get over this 500 meter, how are you going to get to? So suddenly this thing doesn't become a part, a challenge. Mm -hmm. It becomes a training block for what's later down the line. So you look at things differently. Like, and there were so many times I'd be running up a hill, like, going, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And you're just repeating in your head, you can do this, you can do this. And you just get to the top because you know one thing like for a mountain you get to the top there's going to be a down so it's going to be even though downhills were harder on my body they were easier in terms of calories burned yeah, yeah. if you're running across a desert you're going to appreciate everything on the other side of that desert more when you've done it because you're kind of pushing you're denying yourself stuff because you know when you get to the other side it's all going to get plentiful again so you just have to turn things around your head build like break things down and use it as tests and like just set yourself little targets like if i make it there i've succeeded i'm going to help myself with that thing going forward so that's the kind of way that i would break it down mm -hmm. and it's weird we always have rose tinted glasses about <laughs> stuff 
and you know when people ask me about how the trip's like absolutely fine i loved every minute of it it was amazing and then i go back and look at my videos and there's so many videos of me like going, oh, i just can't do this this is so hard and i remembered those moments clearly now yeah. that i go back and look at the videos but what i would do is i'd sit down i'd feel myself being overwhelmed and i'd sit down and go right jamie you made a decision that you did not want to be in the office you wanted to be here. You made the decision to put you, and you didn't. You knew it was going to be difficult. You know it's going to get more difficult. But you made the decision to be here, and you can quit. No one's going to think less of you. And you, but you will go back to that place, the way you were miserable. Mm -hmm. Or you can stay here, and you can fight it out, and you can get to the end, and you'll be better. <laughs> and think back on however many days to the, all the fun you've had, and all the fun you're going to have. And that's you just change your mental attitude, because yeah. a lot of people go. You must have failed. The thought of failure must have crept into your mind. It's like no, like as soon as you let that creep into your mind, mm -hmm. then you're going to fail because self. You'll start doubting yourself, and then you'll start making excuses, mm -hmm. and then you'll start saying, "Well, I, you know, I'll take an extra day holiday here, and I'll do this, and then and then suddenly, or I might take a lift, or I might accept that." Like as soon as you start doing that, you're breaking your own code. Mm -hmm. And you've got to just stick to your code, stick to your routine, and just, if you're having a problem, then just change something to make that problem go away. But never give in to it. Mm -hmm. And I use the word failure in a negative way there, like failure. <laughs> and I think we all think of failure as a negative thing, because we've all been told that failure is a negative thing. Mm -hmm. But you have to change your relationship with failure. I had to change my relationship with lots of things like pain and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But with failure, you have to think, I'm not failing in the traditional sense of the word that we all attribute to it. I'm failing because I'm pushing myself to the extreme. I'm pushing myself to the edges of my ability, mm -hmm. which is a good place to be. I'm at the edge. And by being at the edge, you know you're actually pushing yourself. So you're being, po it's a positive thing. So if you come up against the possibility of failing on a day-to-day -day basis, then you just got to think, how do I push past it? How do I get around it? How do I change something during the day? Is it, mm -hmm. it in terms of running an adventure, like, am I eating the wrong food? Am I not resting enough? Am I, uh, am I doing too much running? Am I not doing enough of this, that? And you just change the breakdown, the, the kind of the chemistry of the day, and then you suddenly will get past that. So mm -hmm. it's just, it's all about how you think about things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Yeah, and and so I mean, in terms of like, again, pain's another one. Dealing with pain, mm -hmm. like, how do you do? You have any techniques, mental techniques, or anything, or is it? With pain, I was lucky with pain in terms of the fact that I had major injuries. I didn't have huge ones, mm -hmm. um, but you kind of the way I viewed pain is there are different levels of pain. There is the pain you get from running too much, and your knee gets a bit sore, your Achilles gets a bit sore, or something happens it doesn't stop you mm -hmm. you still can't your knee still works your ankle still works you can still move mm -hmm. so therefore pain is not telling you to stop and i think we normally we like something goes ow we go right but well, no i'm not doing that because yeah. there's something wrong with me um what you learn is that that's a warning light it's like a dashboard on a car or something it's a warning light there's something wrong with your knee there's something you are doing either your shoes are wrong or your techniques changed or you're not stretching enough or there is something you need to adapt and change to alleviate that problem and mm -hmm. you can, but you can carry on just make a change mm -hmm. if your body wants you to stop 
it will stop you. It can do that. It knows how to do that. <laughs> and I'm not saying be stupid, because like, if you know a tendon's going to break or you know something's going to snap, don't push yourself. But you learn how your body works. And I've been having it recently. Like I took a bit of time off running, and my knees seized up. And I was like, oh, it's just so sore running. But you push through it, and you tell yourself to stretch more, use rollers, do different exercises. And then you wake up, and like today, I did 10K run up and down. Is it Blackford Hill? Blackford, and yeah, yeah. Brilliant time. Enjoyed it so much. And three days ago, I was like, oh, my knees are hurt. So it's, it's about just being positive about these things. Look for ways around it, not don't get pushed back by it, mm -hmm. is the way mm -hmm. I deal with it in pain. But yeah. the stomach problems, you just have to deal with. Like I had to run across 42 kilometers of, 42 kilometers of desert with diarrhea. Oh, Couldn't eat or drink in a desert. And you're like, this is the most bizarre. Like the, I, everything I'm doing is against what you should do as a runner. Uh -huh. But you push through because you know when you get to the end, you can drink lots of Coca-Cola, kill everything in your stomach, eat lots of carbohydrates and you and stuff, and you'll get through it. But it's just like putting up with the the shitty stuff because you know, <laughs> no pun intended, um, <laughs> to be able to get to the. Uh, yeah, you know, I was, when I was in Nicaragua. I really wanted to meet a guy who I knew was coming the other way. So I had to get to a town which was 70 kilometers away. And he was walking around the world and I was running down the world. So it was like amazing. He was same age, same background story, and, but he was Spanish. And we, we heard from people we were gonna meet. So we, this was day. And I got to kilometer 40 and went for a pee. And it was the most painful pee I've ever had in my life. Ended up peeing blood. Oh. Good and I had God. 30k more to go and I made the 30k I carried on pushed myself at, like oh, I wanted to be there uh, but it's about having that ability like just because I had a bladder infection as it turned out to be it didn't mean I had to stop it just meant I had to endure a bit more to get and it was worth it because I got to meet this guy and we had an amazing conversation and we really hit it off so mm -hmm. even though we only met each other one day in our lives I think there's a bond that was uh, and that was just pushing through that was just mentally pushing through the pain Wow, it's intense. <laughs> yeah, but I think one of the things actually on that, we were talking about the challenges and the difficulties and what we were talking about earlier is I think anyone who's doing something like I'm doing, you know, it's very easy to talk about <clears throat> the hardships and make them like, well, I had to put up with this and I had to go over this and I had to do this and da da da. Mm. That's like a few days out of, I was on the road for 503 days in total. 367 days of running that's just like a very small percentage of the days were the hardship mm -hmm. the rest was glorious it was amazing <laughs> and i thoroughly recommend anyone to go and do it yeah. um and you don't have to do the same extent but you can just go and travel and push yourself and there's so many different ways but never use the scary stories as like deterrence mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. it might not happen to you i never got robbed I never got hurt by anyone. I never had any negative exchanges with people. Uh -huh. Other people do. So just because someone else has a problem doesn't mean you're going to have the same problem. So yeah. I think people just need to take that into consideration. For sure, for sure. So I watched an interview that you did on this morning and uh, Philip Schofield asks you why. You know, it's like his opening, opening part. And part of your answer was, I didn't feel like I was living life. And I kind of thought about that phrase for a while. So what do you think it is to, to live life? 
Yeah, I think that is a question that people have been pondering since the beginning of mankind, <laughs> yeah. and we haven't got an answer for it yet. So everyone's got their own answer to that question. And I would, again, freely say, if you want to have kids and live in a house and look after your children and watch them grow, and that's what brings you enjoyment, mm -hmm. that's what you should do. And if that is your passion, and your passion is the thing I think that, dr that should be the drive in our life. And I mm -hmm. think there's a lot of people who live without passion. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people who think that they can't have passion or they think that their lives don't enable them to do certain things. And the way I'd say is, in terms of if you're working, mm -hmm. your job should be your passion or your job should enable your passion. Yep. It should, there, sh there needs to be passion in one of the things. If you hate your job, but it allows you to go off and rock <laughs> climb or do charity work or mm -hmm. do something or write a book or whatever, then carry on doing your job. If it's, if it's your passion, then amazing, then you are a lucky person. Mm -hmm. But I think fulfillment is what makes you happy. And uh, so that should be your drive is to being fulfilled as a person. And you, I think we've all had days where we hung over or we feel depressed or whatever, mm -hmm. and we'll waste a day. And you can see very quickly how it's, it would be easy to fall into a lull mm -hmm. where you can just waste days after day after day after day. And only, like people can tell you to get up and do stuff, but at the end of the day, you are the only person that can actually ignite that motivation within yourself to go and do something. Mm -hmm. So you have to sit up and go, I need to get out there and do stuff. And that might yeah. be reading about an adventurer or a, or an inventor or a successful business person or someone who's doing amazing things for charity. You know, maybe there is an inspiration spark in that. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you have to be the person that goes out and does it and is willing to put up with hitting barriers and, you know, be prepared for the hardships that come before you feel fulfilled. And then when you feel fulfilled, you'll be happy. So I think it's as long as you're always pushing yourself forward, that's the thing that's important. As soon as you stop, I think you stagnate yeah. and that's where the negative things set into life. I was working in the city. I was always doing positive stuff. I was doing, but I noticed I was drinking too much, not in the terms of being an alcoholic. I didn't wake up in the morning and think I need to drink or if I had one drink, did it mean that I drank millions of drinks, but I was using it as a crux in my life. And that was the kind of thing that made me think, God, look at this. I'm always like hungover and unmotivated and da, da, da. I need to change my life. And that's kind of what I did. But it was my, I was the person that saw that. And I think yeah. you need to be the person that acknowledges the change. People can't just say, you need to do this. You mm -hmm. need to, they can suggest it, but it's you at the end of the day are the only person that's going to make you happy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That went on to a completely different answer there. No, 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 it's good. It's great, it's great. So this show is um, very much about kind of reconnecting with, with purpose is, is how I like to say it. So. You know, in terms of yourself, what do you feel is, is your purpose and, and what do you want your legacy to be? Big questions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's my purpose? I want to, the very basically, I have been able to achieve something mm -hmm. and I want to achieve more. Like a lot of people think, well, once you've done something huge, what do you do after that? And the question, like, no matter what you do in life, and even the most successful people will say they could have done it better. 
they could have done it differently. Or when I did this challenge, I never came across these obstacles and I want to tackle these obstacles. I ran for 15 months and it rained 15 times. It was about 30 <laughs> degrees, balmy most of the time. So for me doing a challenge where it rains and it's freezing would be yeah. a great new challenge for me. So I would like to, but the reason I do these things is not so people look at me and go, you're a great person for doing these things. What I want them to look at me is go, you did, you're just a normal bloke. There's mm. nothing, you, you're not ex-army, you're not, you don't have any skills. You just went out and did this thing. Maybe I could do that as well. So my, and I think, you know, I'm not a deep thinking person. I'm not arithmetically great. I'm not a businessman, but I hopefully have a personality that people can think, well, if he does that, I will go and do that too. And I will push myself and I will do that kind of stuff. So, and I think, you know, I've, you get, you're lucky in everything you do, you get something happens that you think, wow, I was lucky to witness that. And I got to go to a school and meet these kids. And I was talking to them about Columbia, running across Columbia. And afterwards the teacher was like, these kids going to the M6 would be an adventure. They just don't leave this area. Hmm. And their lives are so different from yours. And like, these people I wanna inspire, I wanna meet them and tell them that anything's possible. It doesn't have to be what I'm doing, but mm -hmm. they, have, they have dreams, the dreams can be fulfilled. Um, you know, I'm trying to get companies at the moment, it's like, if you pay for me to come and speak to you, I'll go and speak to these guys for free. You nominate schools and I'll go and speak to them for free because you've paid me to come and speak to you. So my bills are covered, mm -hmm. which enables me to go and do this. So that's what I'm trying to put in place. So if I can help inspire people to, be happy, uh -huh. then that's probably, like I'm one of these annoying guys who runs and smiles and says hi to people <laughs> and they all look at me as if I'm a freak. But occasionally <laughs> someone will smile back at you and you know, they might feel a bit better about their life and they might smile at someone else and they'll be, I think if I can try and, if I can be the beginning of a chain reaction of positivity, yeah. then you know, that would be a good legacy to have. Oh, that's fantastic, I love that. That's really, really cool. Yeah. yeah. The other way, if I'd stayed in my job, it would probably mean, well, this guy did really well. He made these guys really rich. That would probably be about the best of my, that's probably what my legacy would be. Yeah. I made a lot of money making these guys a lot of money. It's a great living if you want to have that, but I'd much rather have less stuff and just be happy and chilled and everyone else around me being happy. That's that, that yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like the, the sort of ripple effect yeah. of what happens as a result of the way that you are. Um, it's funny, I was listening to a, a, a friend um, who does a podcast called New York Real, actually, um, and she was doing an interview with a guy called James Altucher, very successful um, American kind of hedge fund guy, podcaster and whatnot, and they were talking, he quoted uh, Gandhi, be the change that you want to see in the world, I think it is, mm -hmm. and it's, you know, by you changing your own behaviours or your mm -hmm. actions, the effect that then comes as a result of that, because you, you influence your inner sphere who then influence the people, that yeah. their friends, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So it's, it's truly, honestly, I think it's fantastic. Brilliant. Hopefully it'll work. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, so what are some of your, your goals now? You know, what are the things that you're um, aiming towards and what are the things that you're doing at the moment? Um, I basically want to carry on doing adventures mm -hmm. as much as I can, but I want those adventures to be, I want to find ways of those adventures being paid for. <laughs> and um, being accessible to as many people as possible 
yep. to be affected by them. So, you know, books, not the best author in the world, so I'm struggling at it, but I'm pushing on and I'm gonna try and get a book with my kind of learnings from that out. If TV comes available, then I'd love to do some TV programs, um, but I want them all to be authentic and I want them all to be positive and mm -hmm. I don't want them to be gimmicky. Um, if I, the more people I can go and speak to, then I'd love, I love speaking. Like, it scares the absolute hell out of me. Does it really? Oh yeah, I hate, like public speaking, I dread it. <laughs> and the first five minutes, I'd probably speak at a thousand miles an hour. And then I suddenly, the adrenaline kicks in. I'm like, I love this. And then I, <laughs> and then I start enjoying it. Um, so I can get out there and speak to as many people as possible. And also, I'm not naive enough to think that my body's gonna break down at some point because it's going to, I'm putting a lot of use through it. So mm -hmm. I want to be able to create a kind of something around me that has longevity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if that does come from teaching people or whatever, I want to go down that route. Uh, or maybe I might go back to my roots in PR, but use it in a more positive, in, more positive for me, yes. um, to help other people get into the, to fulfill their dreams. Uh -huh. So maybe that's the way to go. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, I'd like to, at this stage, I suppose, ask you a few questions around about sort of success. Um, so, and, and you kind of touched upon it earlier, but how do you define success? I, I wouldn't say that there is a definitive thing which is success. Mm -hmm. Because if, you, if success was what you were aiming for and you, and you reached it, what would be the point after that? <laughs> so I think what you want to do is you want to maintain positivity for, f or not positivity, because some people might be like not being positive. <laughs> um, you want to make sure that you're fulfilled at everything. And you want to, you read all like massive sports fans, they put everything on the field. They did everything on the track. They sacrificed what they needed to do to get where they wanted to be. And that what made, and the mantra that I, and I stole this off someone off a podcast, um, but I listened to it and I adopted it as mine, which was be the best version of yourself. And every day we have good intentions and we don't fulfill them. And no matter, even the best person in the world <laughs> has not probably thought about 20 things I wanted to change and probably did three of them or four of them or five of them. There are always things, you can always make your life better and you can always, and I always find that when I'm, I'm happiest, when I'm fulfilling the things I set out for myself to do. And I think success is being able to continue doing that every single day. Yeah. That is success mm -hmm. because you are in that zone and you're doing it every day. Um, if you reach a point and then stop, I can't, I don't see that as success. And mm. if you give up getting to that, then it's not success. So <laughs> success is actually an ongoing state of your life. And I think that's what you should aim to, to keep going. And, you know, maybe it might change directions as you go through life as different things become important to you. Uh -huh. But as long as you are banging it out and you are, that is what I want to do and I'm giving it my all, that's success. And I will like, I don't hit success every day. Definitely not. I will reach the end of the day and go, I wasted so much time reading about something I really didn't need to be reading about on the internet or watching a TV program <laughs> I didn't need to watch. Tomorrow I'll try harder. And then you bring it back up. So I think yeah. I would say success is more like a state of being than it is a thing you should aim for. Yeah, that's cool. It's quite a philosophical answer. I like yeah. that. 
Yeah, that's good. So where that just came from. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I think you are quite the, the philosophical type, actually. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I can go to a trance during interviews. <laughs> <laughs> so um, who or what uh, inspires you? I, this is the question I was dreading. <laughs> I, a lot of people say that they have one person that inspires them mm -hmm. or one quote they live by. Or I personally don't have that because I think there are so many different people that inspire you in different ways to be different versions. Like everyone has strengths. Mm -hmm. No one has them all. <laughs> and I think you extract the positives from all these people and then you move, you try and be that the best you can be. You know, you look at someone like Robin Williams who inspires millions, but he was mm -hmm. an incredibly unhappy person. Mm -hmm. um, so even though he was successful and inspirational, everything, he, was, um, he was also not. Mm. So I kind of just look at the people who are, I just love people who are doing what they love doing and you can clearly see that they love doing it and you just want to, I just want to emulate them <laughs> as much as I can, but there's no particular person. And there's mm -hmm. like, the more I've spoken to my dad recently, like I love the quote he's out, he goes, I've never done a job I haven't enjoyed doing. Like if I stopped enjoying it, I stopped doing it. Mm. We never saw that as kids. He's, he just had jobs and he wore the same suit or different suits, probably. He's <laughs> quite good with cleaning stuff. Um, but he would always get up and go to job and that was all I saw. I didn't know he was too much that he was changing jobs or this or what his drive was. or what. But then you speak to him like, God, yeah. Wish you told me that when I was 20. But, um, uh, you know, so I'm kind of inspired by him. I'm inspired by my, my big brother who like starts his own business. My little brother who's incredibly passionate about what he does. My sister has always wanted kids. So like family have always been very inspired. My mother, she's the one that's I th probably take most after because mm -hmm. um, she's kind of social and you know, she's always active and she's always doing stuff and she's always like, she just does so many things. Um, so family, my boss, I didn't really like my job, but he was quite inspirational. Not possibly in a good way for me, but he sacrificed so much to be successful at what he did. Mm -hmm. Uh, which I don't always agree with, but you know that was still an inspiration to me to see it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I love just people like Ben Fogels and uh, all these yeah. kind of people who who do what they love doing. And a lot of people knock some of them like, oh, but they had all these advantages. Hell, if you've got the advantage, take advantage of it. <laughs> or, like, would it not be worse if he didn't do those things or that person didn't do, like, oh yeah, he got given some money. Like, so what is he meant to do? Just not do what they think that's the most ridiculous he, he is in the situation and he has advantages and he has you work with what you have and mm -hmm. some people are luckier mm -hmm. and some people are less lucky and you <laughs> work with what you have because still people who have nothing will end up higher so there's no excuse to say that person has more than me so they should be they'll be better and i think all the way through history you'll see the people at the bottom work harder they get to the top so yeah, yeah I, that's the kind of people who inspire me Awesome, awesome. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? The best piece of advice is probably, I say it to people, so I probably is, don't let yourself be the barrier to your happiness and success, mm -hmm. which we touched on a few times. Mm -hmm. But it's very easy 
we can be the people we are normally the people the person or the thing that stops us from moving up to the next level mm -hmm. and i think if it's like you're embarrassed or you're unsure or you don't have the motivation or you know don't let that be the reason you don't achieve something it's better to try fail learn and then do it try again yeah. than not try at all yeah if you don't try you're gonna like oh, the way i said it the other day was like we're all told we're all told that this is our level in life mm -hmm. that's all you'll achieve but once you break through that level then there's a whole there's a whole new stratosphere of things you can actually <laughs> do mm -hmm. so you know you're don't limit yourself always push forward always push 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 um and yeah you never know where you're going to end up again by doing those little journeys you never know who you're going to meet and who's going to influence you mm -hmm. and how you know if i stayed at my job we would never m met and i wouldn't be sitting here mm -hmm. you know and that was because i pushed and i pushed and i pushed and then i've met people who then talked about what i did then talked to you and then i'm sitting in yeah. your place so it's kind <laughs> of you know the opportunities only come to those who put themselves out there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's how they are lucky everyone's like oh he's so lucky gets all these things probably because he's working harder than you <laughs> that's probably why he's got these opportunities <laughs> so yeah. you know you can't sit around and wait for something to come to you and if it does come to you grab it take advantage of it and use it to its full potential mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and remember there's a lot of people who don't have the advantages yeah so your response you have a responsibility to maximize it so if you're privileged use it to the best so yeah, that's what I'd say. That's, that's, that's a brilliant message. I love that. Yeah, I, I can relate to that in a lot of ways as well, mm. actually. So, yeah. So if you had an opportunity to speak to the 20 year old you, what would you say? Don't be scared. Because mm. I think being scared of change, being scared of doing what I wanted to do for me mm -hmm. held me back for 14 years <laughs> after that. I'm not saying I regret those 14 years. I had yeah. a great time. But I, my life would probably be different. What would you have done differently? I, I, I sit there and go, like now I sit there and go, yeah, I'm not one of these people who was like in the army and did all these things. Actually, I think on hindsight, I'd have probably been quite good in the army. Really? I really like routine. I really like adventure. I really like pushing yourself. Yeah. I really like, like, there's so many opportunities in the army. It might have been a good thing for me. I don't know, but it might have been. I was going through a rebellious stage where I hated anyone with authority <laughs> in my life. I was a crappy teenager um, who was always like doing ridiculous things just to rebel against pretty much mum and dad. Um, <laughs> but so I didn't go into that kind of thing. But I think it's because I was scared. So don't be scared. So the implication in what you just said is that you don't mind authority now. Is that right? No, I don't mind authority because I don't mind responsible authority. I think that if authority, if people are above you and they're telling you to do stuff for your own good mm -hmm. and to help you mm -hmm. and to protect you and to help you flourish, that that's something to, if it's oppressive authority, yeah. it's something that needs to be changed. So yeah, it's like in everything, there's always good and bad. Mm -hmm. So a positive authority is a good thing. I like it. I like it. If you could change anything in the world, what would it be and why? Change. Wow. 
I would, I would like people to realize what they have. It's something that's irritating me at the moment, and I'm, again, as responsible as everyone else. Mm. But in a world where the UK is becoming more insular, America's coming more insular, there's horrific mm -hmm. things happening around the world, there are people complaining about their lot in life, like with 4G mobile phones, Sky television. You know, everyone expects to be entertained 24-7 now. We all mm -hmm. want the best. We all go to cinema all the time. We all go on holiday like three or four times a year. You know, even like people who can't afford will like take loans and go on holidays and all this kind of stuff because we expect all this stuff. Mm. We are like a tiny percentage of the world. They don't, you know, we should be grateful for what we've got and be mm. trying to help the world come up rather than us trying to continue to push ourselves even higher and higher yeah. to the stuff we don't need. Mm. So I think I'm not like trying to be communist and like everyone <laughs> should be equal and everything, but I think I don't like anyone can have anything in the world and do whatever you think you need, but enjoy it and recognize it and be appreciative of what you have. Yeah. If you start like acting as if you're hard done by yeah, because yeah, yeah. you've only got a BMW <laughs> and someone else has got a Ferrari, <laughs> like your life is, there's something gone off wrong in your life. You know, as long as you have a vehicle that gets you from A to B because you need it, yeah. then there's no problem. So I think I'd like there to be more self-awareness about what we have. That's probably... Yeah, yeah, that's a great answer. It reminds me, I was watching a video recently. I don't know if you've heard of a guy called Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, great name, though. Yeah. <laughs> great name. He's, uh, he's now kind of a celebrity in the States. He's a sort of personal development guy who's got his own um, agency and uh, did a lot of YouTube um, wine library TV is how mm. he started. But um, one of his videos recently was like, you're a human being, you've won the fucking lotto. You know, yeah. you're not a tree, you're not a bus. It's yeah. like, <laughs> That's really it's true, just, yeah. It's just like, we've got, we're like, we're blessed to be what we are. Yeah on this planet with all these opportunities and yeah. abilities and and it's you know you're right it's about embracing that and mm. making the most of it and not complaining about you yeah. know being hard done by yeah and there's so many there's like little things like the world because there's so many things that we can choose from and to indulge in and we all the, all the information's there like mm. i know that eating a ridiculous amount of sugar is gonna make me ill make me not run as quickly is going to affect my mind, my motivation, and all this. And I still eat like heaps of sugar every <laughs> single day. It's like, what the hell are you doing? Like, it's, so we all have this knowledge. We just need to act on it better. And I'm worse than anyone. So, you know, it, it's all like drinking and smoking and all these kind of things we do. Yeah. We don't. We're just being so ungrateful for the abilities that we have. Like, hu yeah. the body and the mind are exceptional, yeah. and we treat them like crap but well <laughs> most a lot of us do yeah so. yeah yeah absolutely awesome jamie it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege speaking to you it's been fantastic uh, fun yeah it has i mean I, I could go on here but um yeah i mean you, I, your energy is incredible you know you're so charismatic i absolutely love it and, um, but equally you're you're such a humble guy and and i think what you've achieved is fantastic and i wish you all the best in the future Thank and you I, very much. I can't wait to see where you go. Yeah, well, hopefully I'll do something else big and then I'll be back here again. And <laughs> yeah, we can talk absolutely. About it. Yeah, 100%. Excellent. Thanks very much so, for yeah. having me. You're welcome, Jamie. Thank you so much. Cheers. Cheers.